And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when they came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Well, keep your Bible open now and let's ask God to help us as we look at his word. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to consider your word together. Uh, We pray that as we look at your word, we pray that you'll speak to us. Help me, Lord, to bring out from your word helpful lessons for us all. And please cause us all to hear what you have to say to us. And draw us to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we were looking at the parable of the foolish virgins, uh, which is in chapter 25. Uh, This week I want us to go back in Matthew's Gospel, three chapters, and to look at this parable, uh, which is often known as the parable of the wedding banquet. Now let me remind you that a parable is a story which is true to life. You can imagine something like this happening. Maybe not in our current society, not every detail would be the same. <laughs> uh, you'd, perhaps you wouldn't send out messages. You'd, have, you'd perhaps have text and WhatsApp messages or something. But, but um, the idea is the same. You can imagine it happening, something very similar happening in everyday life. So it's an everyday story, but it's got a spiritual meaning to it. And this parable has got, in fact, lots and lots of, you know, you can look at it at many different angles and see all sorts of ways in which it teaches us about God, about salvation, about the future, about 
uh, about um, how we need to be clothed in God's righteousness. There's all sorts of good lessons we can learn from this story. And uh, what I plan to do then is to go through the parable sort of little section by little section and draw out from it uh, lessons and applications for us. So uh, we start then at the beginning in verse 2 with how we see the king, a king, gives a wedding banquet for his son. So let's read verse verses 1 and 2. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So like the parable that we saw last week, this is a story about the kingdom of heaven. Now, Recap on what the kingdom of heaven is, or if you weren't here, let me just tell you quickly. Uh, To understand the kingdom of heaven, it's probably a good idea to think about the world as it was before the kingdom of God was established. What was the world like? Well, the world was fully under the rule of Satan. Satan, as I'm sure most of us will know, Satan had deceived Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. And from that time on, mankind was under the domination, under the thumb, as it were, of Satan. He was ruling people. Uh, He deceived people into believing a whole load of lies. And... He encouraged people to live lives that were in rebellion against God. And and he's basically dragging people off to hell. And people were unable to stop. The people didn't even, they didn't, people were so deceived by Satan, they didn't even realize they're living under his rule. And they weren't bothered about it. And they just carried on living their lives, living in rebellion against God and with no hope in this world. But God in his great kindness has established an alternative rule. And this was prefigured with with what he did through Israel. But then it really started properly when he sent his son Jesus into the world. Jesus announced this, this wonderful rule in people's hearts. And then he died on the cross and was raised from the dead and ascended back up to heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit in order to start this rule in people's lives. And now, people can be forgiven for their sins, but not only forgiven for their sins, but also they can know the power of God to change their hearts. So they now want to serve God in their lives. So now people can be plucked out of the kingdom of Satan and brought into the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that happens every time somebody becomes a Christian. Paul says in Colossians, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us over into the kingdom of the son he loves. 
So every time somebody becomes a Christian, true Christian, he or she is taken out of the kingdom of Satan, out of the kingdom of this world, and brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now God is reigning in people's hearts. And that rule is growing in two ways. It's growing because people are becoming more and more like Jesus. Those who are saved are becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's growing in the sense that more and more people are becoming Christians. But that kingdom hasn't yet, this kingdom has is, is not reached its end point. The end point will be when Jesus comes again. And when he comes again, Satan will be banished to hell. All those who have not believed in Jesus will also be banished to hell. And those who did believe in Jesus will perfectly enjoy the rule of God in their lives. They won't sin anymore. They won't die anymore. They won't suffer anymore. And they'll live in the new world that God is going to bring into being. So this, this story is about this rule of God. And, and uh, Jesus says that, it's, that the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast that a king uh, set up for his son. Now, it doesn't take a great deal of intelligence probably to work out that the king in this story is, of course, God. Represents God. And the son in this story, of course, the son of the king, is, of course, Jesus. And so this tells us that right away that Jesus in this story is telling us that he's the son of God. You know, people sometimes say, people from other religions or people sometimes, even sometimes people who, who call themselves skeptical Christians, they say, oh, well, of course the Bible, in Jesus never said he's the son of God. They say, well, here's a story where Jesus is clearly, very clearly implying that he is the son of God. And similarly to the story we saw last week, there are some similarities with the story last week, but then there's other differences. Similarly to the story last week, uh, the son is also a bridegroom. There's going to be a great wedding. There's going to be a great, a, a, a great marriage. What is that marriage? Well, it's between Christ and his church. In one sense, we're already united with Christ the minute we become Christians. But again, there's a present aspect and there's a future aspect. And there's a time coming when we, we who belong to Christ, we will be the bride, we are the bride of Christ and we'll be, as it were, married to Christ. We'll be united with Christ in that wonderful wedding banquet that wonderful celebration which will take place uh, in the future. And in this story, the king has, pre has, has prepared a wedding banquet for his son, this bridegroom. What's that talking about? Well, that's talking about the blessings of the salvation which we already enjoy as Christians which will become which will be fully revealed when Jesus comes again 
already we have blessing, don't we? If we're Christians, we have wonderful blessings, don't we? we? Our sins are forgiven. We know the love of God in our hearts. We have the, we have the blessing of fellowship with other believers. We, we, every time we come to church, to a meeting of the church, it's like a little feast, isn't it? It's a little, it's, it's, it's a little banquet. Some people sometimes say, oh, it felt like heaven today. And can't we have church every day? Can't we? Because it's so lovely to be together and to, and to be fed with the word of God. And so we taste now of the heavenly banquet. And of course, particularly when we have the Lord's Supper together, we are feeding, we're having that foretaste of what's to come. And then, and then, when Jesus comes again, then we will properly experience that great wedding banquet. And I read earlier from Isaiah chapter 25, this prophecy of this, this great feast that there'll be. And there'll be rich food and aged wine and, and the veil of death will be taken away and tears will be wiped from people's faces and the reproach of God's people will be taken away. That's what's coming to us. And so the Father, God the Father, invites people, say, look, come and enjoy this wonderful, wonderful banquet. We're going to have a whale of a time. It's going to be brilliant. Already we can enjoy it, but it's going to be just amazing when Jesus comes again. But then we read something really extraordinary in verse 3, which is that the people who were originally invited to this banquet declined to come. Verse 3. Well, let's read verses 2 and 3 again. The kingdom of God may be, kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a, a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited. To the wedding feast. But they would not come. So, what an extraordinary thing. Here is this king. And sometime before he'd sent out the invitations to his guests, said that there's going to be a wedding banquet and, and, and on this particular date, and I want you to come. And then when the time came round for the wedding banquet to actually happen, they said, oh, no, I can't be bothered. No, I don't want to go. Just imagine. Now, you know, this is written, of course, this was spoken to, um, to Middle Eastern people who, you know, for whom hospitality is really, really important. You know, you don't turn down an invitation to go to a wedding banquet, especially one from a king. You just don't do that. And that's what they did. Now, who are the ones that this is talking about? Well, of course, uh, I think it's fairly obvious that this is talking about the Jews. The Jews were the ones who had the right to be part of this wedding banquet. They were the chosen people. They were the ones that, 
that God made this promise to Abraham that he would bless Abraham and his descendants. They're the ones that, that God rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They are the ones who God, whom God brought into the promised land. And so the Jews were the obvious candidates, as it were, to be the ones who would be at this wedding banquet. And so uh, it, would, it would have been only natural to suppose that when the time came for this, this wedding banquet with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, then surely you would have expected that the Jews would say, yes, this is, this is, this is the one. But no, they declined. They rejected uh, this invitation from God to come and and enjoy his wedding banquet. Now, the next thing we see uh, in verse 4 is that the king pleads with those who are invited and begs them to change their minds and not to decline his offer. So, uh, he did so by means of sending other servants. He said, it says, again, he said other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner my oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Now this is really quite amazing. The king is almost, as it were, begging with people to come. He says, look, I've got it all ready. The food's ready. The, 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 the fattened calf has been killed. Uh, the, the oxen are ready, there's, there's wine on the table, there's all these lovely delicacies. It's all waiting for you. Please, will you come? Through his servants, please, will you come and, and enjoy this wedding banquet? And this speaks to us about how God pleads with people to come. Uh, and receive his salvation. A few weeks ago, some of you might remember, we were looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about how the apostle urged believers on, on God's behalf to come to Christ. And, and we noted then that the word that's used, that Paul uses, is a very strong word. It actually is usually translated, I beg of you. You know, I plead with you. So, he said, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is really strong urge. Please will you come and please will you receive this. And let me say to anybody who's listening to this this morning who's not yet a believer, understand God wants you to come. He is urging you to come and to trust in Jesus. Well, you then get a further shocking response. Verse 5 and 6. But they paid no attention to him. They paid no attention but went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and killed and treated them shamefully and killed them. Just imagine. This king has very generously provided for his subjects 
a wonderful wedding banquet for his, his son. He's saying, look, it's all here, it's free, you don't have to pay anything, it's all provided, just come and enjoy it. And some just ignore it, ignore the invitation, go off and go off to their fields and go about their business. And some do even worse. The people who brought this kind invitation actually grab hold of those, those servants of the king. They, 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 they seize them. They treat them shamefully, beat them up and do all sorts of terrible things to them, humiliate them. And some they even kill. How terrible and how shocking. Again, put this in the context of a Middle Eastern hospitality you know, that Jesus here would have been absolutely shocked and horrified to hear of this terrible treatment uh, of the king and his servants. Now, who is this talking about? Well, of course, this is, I think we can be fairly certain, this is talking, uh, talk, this is, uh, talking about the Jews who were the ones who were originally invited to the wedding banquet and uh, the, of God, for God's son. And when the time came for the salvation that God was providing in Jesus, they refused to come and they refused to receive that salvation. They rejected the prophets that God had sent. They killed many of them. When then God sent his own son, Jesus, they killed him crucified him and then when Jesus subsequently sent uh, evangelists, apostles, preachers, the Jews also um, attacked them as well. And so as John writes in John chapter 1 and verse 11, he came to his own, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now before anybody starts to have any smug anti-Semitic thoughts and say, oh, those terrible Jews, let me challenge you, let me challenge myself. Would you have done any better? The answer is no. Because the way that the Jews treated Jesus and this message of salvation is the way that everybody in his or her natural state treats this message of salvation. Think about yourself if you are a Christian now. Think about back to your non-Christian days. How did you behave when a, a Christian knocked on your front door? Or when you saw somebody doing open-air preaching down at the market? You'd have scooted past <laughs> in embarrassment to ignore that person. Somebody offers you a track. No, thanks, not interested. Chances are. And somebody invites you to church. Oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not a church sort of person. Many of us would have been like that, wouldn't we? And even if we had have perhaps have, have um, uh, come to, to church, to services, uh, many of us would have not have trusted the Lord Jesus as our saviour. And maybe there are some who are in, in this category still because you haven't yet come to Christ. So don't just say, oh, well, you know, that's just the Jews. No, no. That's how we all are, isn't it, naturally? We all find excuses not to believe in Jesus. 
And some do worse. Some laugh at Christians, at, at, at preachers of the gospel. Some even, some ridicule them. Some even attack them and kill them. Well, now, the next thing we see is how the king judged those who rejected his call. Verse 7. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So the king, who had shown remarkable kindness, generosity, patience, finally, in this story, he'd had enough. And he sent an army against that city which had treated him so badly and treated his servants so badly. And uh, he destroyed that city and, and put to death those people who'd done those terrible things to his servants. Now, here, I think we can take this as, as a prophecy of, of the destruction of Jerusalem. Forty years after Jesus spoke these words, uh, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. And there followed the most terrible siege. And then Jerusalem was destroyed. Many people in that city were put to death. It's, it's reckoned by some historians to be the worst siege ever in the history of the world. The most terrible, awful siege. Now, of course, the Roman emperor who did that, as far as he was concerned, he was just doing what emperors do. Little did he know that he was actually fulfilling the plan of God. That God had decreed that judgment should come upon the Jews for the way in which they had treated this offer of salvation. Well, then we see then the next thing in this story is that the king has got a problem. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were... Those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. So, the king's got a problem. He's put on this great wedding banquet. He's got all the food there. He's got the wine there. He's got everything ready, but tables are laid. But there's no guests. So what's he going to do? Well, he says, he says to his servants, right, rent a mob. <laughs> As he go out and find, go out and find people. Go to the streets. Get anybody you can get hold. Drag them in. You know, doesn't matter how rich they are, how poor they are, how good they are, how bad they are. Any old ruffian, anybody, just get them so that we've got some guests here at the wedding banquet. Now, What's this talking about? Well, God had originally invited the Jews to come and enjoy the salvation that he was going to provide. But his people, the Israelites, didn't want that salvation. So what has God done? He said, okay, well, now the gospel is to go to the Gentiles. Now, of course, when I say the king had a problem, of course, God doesn't ever has a problem because this is just a figure of speech, of course, and, and because this is all part of God's plan. God knew that the Jews would reject the message. And he knew that 
the gospel would go to the Gentiles. It's not that like, there's a plan A and then that failed and then you went to plan B. No, this was already, this was God's plan. God's plan was worked out. The, 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 the Jews refused for a time. They will believe in the future, we know from Romans 11. There will be a time when many, many Jews will believe, but for the time being, most of the Jews refused. So then mean that frees the gospel then to go to the Gentiles. And now everybody in the world is invited. Pagans, heathens, murderers, thieves, liars, drunkards, drug addicts, child molesters, prostitutes, and the good, and the rich, and the famous, and the, and the upright, and the moral, all good and bad, educated, uneducated, all races, all nationalities, whatever religious background, all invited to God's wedding banquet. Now, there's a similar story in, that, that Jesus told that's recorded in Luke's gospel. It's not the same story, it's, a, it's similar though. And, and it's in chapter 14. And, and in verses 21 to 23, uh, it, it, in that story, it, it reads like this. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. So here's this idea. God says, right, get everybody you can in because I want lots of people in my wedding banquet. Well, this, of course, gives the rationale for evangelism. That's, this is why it goes out to Stratford on Thursdays and Saturdays. This is why during term time, many of us will go out doing door-to-door visitation and and this is why we, we hold special guest services and why, you know, Daniel was sharing about trying to, to share his faith at work and others of you try to share your work at, faith at work and, 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 and we try to share our faith with, with family and friends because God wants this message to go to everybody. There isn't anybody that's so bad or so far from God or, that, or is, has, has sunk so low that they won't be welcomed if they'll come. All are welcomed. This is the great good news. All. Whoever you are. Whatever you've done. Now, make, now let me say to you again, if there's anybody here who's not yet a Christian, maybe you might think, well, I've not really lived a good enough life to be a Christian. I've done really quite a few bad things in my life and I, I feel I couldn't really be counted among these worthy people these respectable people who've you know they've been some of them have been married and they've got kids and they've brought them all up nicely and lived honest life I've not done those things you think well how can I you know link myself with these people or link myself with this God but this is what you see what God is saying. Get them in. Whoever they are. 
And of course, as churches, we, as a church, we've got to be ready for you know the disruption to our church life if we if we do have some you know sort of rough diamonds come in, because this you know we've got to make adjustments ourselves as as we welcome them to come in. So uh, there's this call that goes out uh, to to all. Now then we read in verse, the next thing to see is the success that the servants have. Verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered in all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now here's a wonderful thing. We are promised that Evangelists will be successful long term. <laughs> it, it might, short term, you might think, well, done all this sowing, there's very little reaping, very little fruit for it. But ultimately, there will be a big harvest. Sometimes it comes after the death or after the retirement of the person who's done the sowing. Think of, I can think of, for example, missionaries who worked in North Africa. And have had very little success during their own lifetime. Maybe one or two people converted. Uh, but now, in those countries, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, there are big churches. Lots of people becoming Christians from Muslim backgrounds. The Lord is blessing. But those missionaries who started that pioneer work are either very old or have now died. But they, the, the, the fruit of their labor is being seen. And we are promised, aren't we, in the Bible, that there will be lots and lots and lots of people in heaven. Um, Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with branches, palm branches in their hands. Now, this comes in ebbs and flows. We're in a sort of a, a little bit of a, an ebb at the moment here in, 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 in the United Kingdom. Not many people are becoming Christians. But go to other parts of the world, go to India, go to China, go to South Korea, go to Latin America, go to Africa. You'll find lots and lots and lots of people becoming Christians. So, you know... We, we need to see the big picture. God is building his church and, and the gospel will be successful. There will be lots and lots of people in heaven. But then we come to the next thing. We see that there was somebody who was there in this wedding banquet who didn't have a wedding garment on. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So here's somebody who hasn't got the right clothing on. Everybody was expected in this wedding banquet to be wearing beautiful white wedding clothes. 
But here's a man who's not wearing wedding clothes. He's wearing his own clothes. What's going on? Now, if you think about it, you'd have thought that none of them would have had any wedding clothes because they'd all been dragged in off the street. So how did anybody have any wedding clothes to wear? Well, I think the answer must be that as they were dragged in off the street, they were told, look, don't worry about your wedding We've got the clothes for you. You know, see it, report to the, to the wardrobe manager and, and she will, he will give you, you know, your white robes to wear so that you can come to the wedding banquet. So what must have happened with this guy? He must have said to himself, oh, no, no, I don't want your clothes. I've got my own clothes, thank you very much. He must have thought, well, my clothes are fine. I've got, I've got nice clothes, so I don't, need, I don't need anybody else's clothes. And so he went into the wedding banquet thinking he'd be all right because he's got his own clothes. But the king says, no, your clothes aren't good enough. You haven't got the right clothes. You haven't got the white robes on. What's this talking about? Well, I suggest to you that this is talking about people. There are those who, you see, God requires for us to be in heaven. He requires us to be clothed with righteousness. It's like having that white robe on. Remember that story we read from Joshua in, in, in Zechariah about Joshua the high priest who had those filthy clothes on and he got clothed with white robes. And for us to be in God's presence, we have to be clothed in his righteousness. He provides that for us if you trust in him. If you trust in Jesus, God clothes you with the righteousness of Christ so you're made fit to enter this wedding banquet in heaven. But sadly, there are those who say, yes, I'll come to the wedding banquet Yes, I'll be a Christian, but they say, my good deeds are good enough. My righteousness is okay. I don't need any righteousness that God provides for me. I'll, I'll be all right because I've, I've, you know, I go to church. I read my Bible. I never do anybody any harm. I try to live a good life. I'm married. I work hard. I'm an honest person. I'm decent. I'm okay. So I don't need God to provide righteousness for me because I'm righteous as I am. But what they don't realize is that the Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. They don't realize that actually they're like that, that high priest Joshua who is clothed in filthy rags. And so they don't come and they don't receive from God the pure white robes that he provides. I wonder, is there anybody in that position this morning? Is there anybody here this morning who's you've never actually confessed to God, I'm a terrible sinner. I deserve hell. My righteousness is not good enough. I need you to save me. If there's anybody in that position, then I urge you, come to God today. Confess your sins to God. Don't think, oh, I've lived a good life. You won't get into heaven 
or you won't be able to stay in heaven if you're trusting in your own good deeds. Well, let's see what happened to that man. Verse 13. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, this man, he'd been relying on his own clothing, as it were, his own righteousness, and he's thrown out, thrown out outside. Now, what's that talking about? Of course, it's talking about hell. Those who have not been clothed in the righteousness of Christ will be cast outside to the outer darkness, to hell, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it's so important, it's so important, while you can, to come to Jesus and to trust in him for the salvation which he provides. This is so important. I really strongly urge you don't just assume you're okay. Make sure you trust in Jesus. Because if you don't have his righteousness on you, you will land up in hell. Well then, there's a moral that's brought from it. Verse 14. Jesus says, For many are called, but few are chosen. You see, the Jews were called. But very few of them, at least at that point in time, believed in Jesus. The message went out to the world. And although a large number of people did come in, many didn't come in. What's the difference between those who did believe and those who did not believe? Those who do believe and those who do not believe. The answer is quite simply that those who do believe are worked in by God to move them to believe. And why did God why does God work in those who are saved? The answer is he works in them because he's chosen to do so. Not because of anything good about them, but he's chosen to work in them. Because naturally all of us would reject the message. And so Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. Does this mean that God has been unfair? Not at all, because, because the people who reject the message reject the message because they want to reject that message. In their sin and their rebellion, they refuse to come to God. Or they, in their pride, they refuse the white robe of salvation that God gives. So that, but this message really is for those, that, that last sentence really is something for those of us who are Christians. If you have come to Christ, realize it's because God chose you. God had mercy on you. And be grateful to him for what he has done. 
Well, I do hope and pray that God will speak to us through his word and, and uh, we will all heed this message.